Father, in the name of Jesus, we start with a clear desire for you to speak with us. Lord, we want you to speak to us. Lord, we cry that you will meet with us. Lord, even now we ask you, as we gather together around your word, we ask that your word will be clear and straight and we will hear what you have for us in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, thank you for inviting me to share with you. And the theme or the topic I was given was end-time realities. I hope you can see my screen. End-time realities. And we'll be looking at different aspects of this. Um, what I am tagging this is seven critical instructions. By the grace of God, we'll be looking at seven things today. Uh, we will start with the first part. We'll take a break and continue at the second part. As an introductory verse, First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. I'm just setting that as an opening um, focus for us to know the context in which we are sharing these instructions. It says that the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in these last times, some things will happen. Number one, it says that some will turn away from the truth. Now, that is a hard fact. Some will turn away from the truth. Number two, it says they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So, we know that in the last days, there will be deceptive spirits there will be demonic spirits. There will be all manners of teachings that come from the pit of hell. We need to just accept this as a reality that the Lord says will come to pass. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says, They are teaching... This error, this evil, this strange doctrine will spread like gangrene. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. So, in the last days, all this is an introduction, point number three. In the last days, 
these demonic doctrines will spread like cancer, like gangrene. There will be so much falsehood. There will be so much false teaching. And then number four, those who have wandered away from the truth, they will draw others along with them. They will draw many others along with them. In fact, in the last days, these doctrines will become so rife, so rife. Let me just say this at this point, that many people in these days, um, they consider us to be having such a massive end-time harvest. And in some ways, yes, there is a massive end-time harvest. But I want to say something here, that the doctrines of the last days will be so sweet, they will be so enticing, they will be so encouraging, so inviting, to the point that there will be a mass movement of followership. And because of this mass movement, many will be deceived to think, wow, the church is really exploding. The numbers of believers is amazing. We are counting mega, mega churches. We are counting large numbers of followership. We must be careful because the doctrines of devils in the last days will make it such that falsehood will spread so rapidly and the numbers of those who embrace falsehood, they will be so much that we will think that falsehood is correct doctrine. I just needed to make that clear that some of the rejoicing today is actually wrong rejoicing because we are rejoicing in numbers without taking note of what those people believe. So, more important than counting the numbers in the churches should be a clear emphasis on what do the people believe and what are the doctrines being taught. For in the last days, like we read, the doctrines of devils will become so prominent. You hear people say things like, it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh, so long as your spirit is saved. And so adultery and fornication and all manners of impropriety are accepted as a way of life while we celebrate the growth of the church. We are afraid to call a spade a spade. We are afraid to teach wholesome doctrine because many people we fear will move away from the church. Now, I am speaking to pastors and leaders and ministers, and I want to say that you are the last bastion of truth. You are the last uh, stronghold that the enemy would seek to overtake. You are the ones who will fight 
and God expects to fight to the death. And I do pray with all my heart. As I speak to you, I speak to myself. As a leader myself, I ask the Lord, make me part of the end time army that stands for truth and refuse to budge. Praise the Lord. Now, let me continue by saying I will be looking at seven critical instructions. I will um, end um, a, a part in this first session and continue in the second session. Seven critical instructions to ministers in the last days. And as I speak to you, these are things I speak to myself as well. And I will only be focusing on scriptures. And all my passages will be from Matthew chapter 14. And all will be anchored on scriptures. Friends, one of the errors of today is that we have so many sweet stories that are not anchored on scriptures. And people come and give testimonies and move the hearts of many. And you ask, show me the biblical basis. And people cannot show you from scriptures. We need to go back to scriptures. What does the scripture say in a balanced way? Seven instructions to leaders, to pastors, to ministers by the grace of God. Number one, Matthew chapter 14, verse 3 to 4. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother, Philip's wife. For John said to him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. Point number one, instruction number one. To my fellow ministers, speak the truth at all times, at all cost. Speak the truth despite negative feedback and despite negative implication. It's an appeal to the people of God, leaders in the house of God. We owe the people of God one thing. We owe them truth. In these last days, we must be men and women who speak truth. And we know truth may be painful. Truth, start with the family. Speak truth to your children. Speak truth to one another as couples. Speak truth in the house cell. Speak truth in the office. Speak truth in the church. Speak truth. Truth is becoming scarce. Now we want to say more and more the things that give men joy. We want to say things that make people happy. So someone keeps prophesying and saying God says he will bless you. And God says he will do this for you. By this time next year, you will have this. You will have that. The Lord says, I should tell you. And the Lord has not said. Many times the Lord has not said. But because the people want to hear good news, 
The people want to hear sweet news. We keep giving this news, but oftentimes it's not true. May the Lord help us speak truth at all times. John the Baptist dared to speak truth. I believe there were so many people who were not happy with Herod. I'm sure there were many people who knew it was not lawful for him to take his brother's wife. I'm sure there were many in Jerusalem and around the country who knew that Herod was breaking the law. But who would be bold enough to speak? Permit me to be very honest with you that the men of God of the last days must be men of extreme boldness. They must be men of extreme courage. They must be men who say, I will speak truth, unreserved, unadulterated. I will speak God's word. And if it would cost me something vital or precious, I'm willing to pay the price. Now, someone listening to me may say, you know, we need to be wise in these last days. We need to use wisdom. Yes, we need wisdom. But any wisdom that dilutes truth is no longer God's wisdom. Any wisdom that suffocates truth is no longer God's wisdom. Any wisdom that hides the reality of God's instruction to this generation is no longer wisdom. May God give you and I the boldness to speak truth. I have suffered much, friends, because I have spoken truth. I know the pain of loss because I spoke truth. I have been locked in prison physically and beaten like a criminal because I spoke truth. But truth needs to be spoken. And if we suffer for truth, blessed be the name of the Lord. May God raise men and women that speak truth. Point number two, instruction number two. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. When Jesus heard it, that means heard what happened to John, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Instruction number two, find a good balance between being with the people and being alone. As leaders, we must find that good balance. You know, the people are out there and we have compassion as leaders. We want to touch the people. We want to help the people. We want to heal the people. We want to serve the people. But there is time we need to depart to a desert place alone. One of the things that kill ministers of the gospel before time is over busyness. We are so busy with the people. Can I say that in the last days, one of the strategies of hell is to keep us chasing after one goal and the other. 
always running. Now, I don't know what it's like in Ireland, but I know in Lagos, people wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and start to their day because they need to leave early to beat the traffic. Some people leave their houses at 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. Speaking to a young man today, saw him out early washing his car. And I asked him, have you had time to study the word today? Have you had time to pray? Have you had time to read the Bible with your wife? You know, he says, well, you know, I said, you know, you know, you know, the moment we keep chasing these goals, we are pressing after these goals, and we don't learn to depart alone by ourselves, we begin to dry out. Because we're exhausted, we come back, we open the Word of God, we cannot sit with the Word of God. We are unable to spend time in reflection and thinking and prayer because we are chasing so many things. But the Lord is saying, make a balance. Yes, it's important to meet the needs of the multitude. Yes, we need to have compassion to touch them, to reach them, to love them. But at the same time, let's make time for reflection, brothers and sisters. Let's make time to withdraw. In this end times, we need time to hear the voice of the Spirit. Oh, we need time to hear what is the Spirit saying to the churches. We need time to understand the mind of God for the now. Things are moving so quickly in our generation. You cannot afford to plan tomorrow like you plan today. What is the Lord saying for each moment, each season? Point number two, as leaders, we are called to make a balance. Balance between chasing after our goals and time alone in reflection, in thinking, in praying. Point number three, Matthew 14, 16 to 18. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. One of the things, instruction number three, that the Lord will be saying to the leaders of the church of God is feed them with Jesus. Feed them with the word, the bread of life. Feed them. The people don't need stories. They need bread. They need the living bread. The disciples said, let them go away and find it themselves. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. You feed them. I want to say to you, dear servant of God, some of you may look down and say, well, I don't have what it takes. Can I say to you, the little you have, when the Lord touches what you have, once your heart is right, once your spirit is right, once you are plugged into Jesus, that little will bless many. Hallelujah. 
Don't look down on what you have, dear servant of the Lord. But please, I beg you, whatever you have, bring it first to Jesus. Don't run off and start to feed the people. Don't run off and be busy with ministry. What you have, bring it first to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who will do the miracle of multiplication. By the Spirit of God, I say to you, don't look down on what you have. You may have a really small church today. And I really want to say this with my heart open. You may have a really small church today. Your church may not be large. You may not feel you are doing a great ministry. You just have a few loaves and a few fish. But offer that few loaves and few fish to the Lord. And I want to tell you that the Lord will be mindful to watch over the little you have. But if you don't offer the little you have to the Lord, you may be feeding the people with lots of stuff, but they are not the life-giving bread. They are not the sustaining word. And so you find people under our ministries, we have been teaching them and ministering to them for years, but there's no transformation. We want to see transformation. And the only way transformation will happen is if we bring first our bread and our fish to Jesus. Let Jesus do the work of multiplication. Let Jesus transform our little skills and our little gifts into life-giving bread. Offer your little skills, my dear friends. Offer your little gifts to Jesus first. And let Jesus do the work of transformation. Let Jesus do the work of redemption. Let Jesus do the work of feeding the hungry. Don't send them away. Don't send them away. Number three point, don't send them away. Please offer your little bread to Jesus and he would multiply that in the name of Jesus. Number four, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says after this immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. This is the last thing I'd like to touch today or in this session. I will continue um, in the next session the remaining points. Jesus was having a great ministry on this side of the Jordan. Jesus was having a great ministry, but Jesus made his disciples. In fact, another version says Jesus insisted his disciples should get into the boat and cross over. He forced them. Basically, he said to them, hey guys, I know we're having a great ministry here, but I insist you go over to the other side. Because there's something on the other side. Let's not be stuck on one side. There's a great ministry waiting to happen on the other side. 
You know, I was speaking to a dear uh, brother, a Moroccan friend, uh, just yesterday, I think, uh, or day before yesterday, on Wednesday. And he was literally crying as he spoke about his city. He said to me, can you believe that in my city, there are two million people in my city, but in my city, there's no church. In my city, there's no pastor. In my city, there's no evangelist. In my city, no one is presenting the gospel to the people of my city. He says, my heart is broken. He says, Dr. Chinedu, I am sad. I am weeping because two million people in my city, no one is reaching two million people in my city. And he said to me, but in my country, there are pastors in my country. In my country, there are missionaries in my country. In my country, there are evangelists in my country. But he says they're all in the big cities. They're in Rabat, they're in Casablanca. They're in those big cities that have all the amenities. But he says to me, who will reach my city with two million people? He says, Chinedu, who will reach my city? And my heart just broke. I just, I just melted and I said, brother, can I just pray with you? Can I just pray with you? I could feel the weight on the heaviness. He says, I have been alone in my city for five years. Working alone for five years to reach out to the people of my city. Friends, leaders, pastors, instruction number four is we need to cross over. We need to see that beyond where we are is a harvest in desperate need of the gospel. Beyond our contemporary location. Beyond our neighborhood. Yes, start with your Jerusalem. Yes, it's important to start with Judea as well. But let's never forget the ends of the earth are still waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In the end times, churches will grow in numbers. But unfortunately, they still congregate around the places where they have heard the gospel again and again and again and again. I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, co-laborers in the gospel, that we hear Jesus insist and say crossover. Insist. It's not optional. He insists. I have people on the other side. He insists. Some of us may need to just pack our bag and travel to the other side for a short-term visit. Just go take a look what's happening on the other side. Some of us, our prayers may need to cross over to the other side, deliberately insisting to knock on the doors of hell, to open those doors for the people to come in. Some of us, our resources we'll need to cross over to the other side. So rather than buy a new car, you decide to invest on the other side to reach out to that lonely brother working alone in that city in Morocco. 
You may decide to invest in him. You know, a few days ago, he told me that my rents are due and my landlord is so angry with me because I am a follower of Jesus. And my landlord insists to kick me out. And I've begged the landlord to say, please give me a few more weeks. And the landlord says, by 12 noon today, I will come and drive you away from the house if my rent is not due. And he said, last week, do you know, Dr. Chinedu, I was fired from my place of work because they discovered I'm a follower of Jesus. And when they asked me about my faith, I told them I'm a follower of Jesus and they fired me from my place of work. And he said to me, I am crying as I speak to you because I've lost my job and now my landlord is about to kick me out of the house. This will be a shame to the name of Jesus. Please, what must I do, Dr. Chinedu? He said, I am planning to sell my phone. I want to sell my laptop and I'll sell everything I can to get the money to pay the rents. And I told him, don't sell your phone. Because that's the way we'll be in touch. Don't sell your laptop. Because that's the way you're going to do ministry. He says, but it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And the landlord comes by 12. And I said, I'll pray with you. Believe God for a miracle before 12. And we pray together. We dropped the line. I reached out to a friend in Morocco. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm very busy. I'm teaching right now. I cannot get back to you. I reached out to somebody else. I said, please, can you help me? I need you to send this money to this person immediately. Forget about how I'll get the money to you. Just trust me. I'll get the money to you. And this person dashed to the bank and wired the money to my friend. And he was able to pay the rents. Hallelujah. Across the ocean, there are people in great sacrifice, making great sacrifice. You'll be surprised how much is needed just to pay the rent of this brother every month. But some of us are committed to say, we will support you. I cannot go to your city of 2 million people. I have no one to send to your city of 2 million people. But because you are in that city of 2 million people, I stand on this side of the ocean and I will ensure that at least your rents will be paid till you get another job. Friends, Jesus immediately insisted that they cross over to the other side. And I want to ask you as brothers and sisters in the ministry that we must look beyond the four walls of our local church. We must begin to think beyond Jerusalem and Judea. We must be asking the question, why am I alive? What can I do about the people on the other side of the ocean? I want to close with that um, this moment just to say, as you can see on the screen, he sent the multitudes away. On this side, he said, all right, guys, we've had a lot of time together, but my heart now is with those on the other side. May you not spend all your years only serving the people in Jerusalem and Judea. Yes, Jerusalem and Judea needs our attention, but don't forget the story of the brother in the middle of a city in Morocco with two million people 
laboring for five years alone, alone. And you know what? He's Moroccan. So he has the language, he has the culture, he's part of the community, and he's speaking forth saying, I am a follower of Jesus and you need to know who Jesus is. On the other side are people waiting to hear the gospel. Let me do a quick recap of the four things I said in this section. Number one, for those of you who were not there in the beginning, we said that in this last days, God is raising men and women who will speak the truth, men and women who are bold, men and women who will not um, be miserly with the truth, and they know there are implications, but they choose to speak the truth, of course, speaking the truth in love, but yet speaking the truth. Like John the Baptist spoke the truth and he lost his head for it. Some of us may need to suffer for speaking the truth. I beg you in these last days, dear servant of God, if you must suffer, please suffer for speaking the truth. Amen. Point number two, we said was make a balance. Jesus had time away in the deserted place, time to reflect, time to be alone, time to pray, time to hear the voice of the Father. And at the same time, he was compassionate with the multitude. We need to find the balance. Don't spend all your time with the multitude. Don't spend all your time in ministry and people can knock on your door day and night and they can ring you up day and night and because you love the people, your spirit begins to dry up. Your spirit begins to, uh, 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 begins to be empty of truth and power because you're always with the people, always teaching, always serving, always meeting their needs. And we said there must be a balance between that and time alone with God. Number three, we said feed the masses with the bread of life. Feed the masses with what is truth. Don't look down on what you have. You may be a small pastor. You may be a large pastor. You may not be very gifted like some other people. But whatever God has given you, your five loaves and your two fish, offer it to Jesus. And the Lord will multiply that. I promise you by the word of God, whatever is given to the Lord, he multiplies. So trust him, trust him. I, I have seen the grace of God multiply in my life because I'm offering to him what I have. I begin to write books. I begin to go online for online programs. I begin to travel. I, all I did was offer to him my little gift. I say, Lord, this is the little I have and I offer it to you. And then I see the Lord multiplying it, multiplying, multiplying. May the Lord multiply the gifts of God in your life in the name of Jesus. And then finally we said, cross over. Jesus insisted, cross over. Get into the boat, cross over. There's some people on the other side. Find a way to touch them. Find a way to minister to them. Don't just think of Jerusalem and Judea. Be ready to cross over. As we come to the end of this first session, I'd like to pray with you. It's exactly one or two minutes to the time 
and I want to be faithful to the time. Let us pray. Father, I ask in your great mercy that you, who has called us as ministers of the gospel, that we will be faithful to you, speaking the word of truth with all boldness, fearing no one. In these last days, the doctrines of devils will seek to cover the earth, and the doctrines of devils will lead many away like Hymenaeus and Philetus, and so many will turn away from truth. But Lord, I pray for every one of these your servants, that they would stand for truth, and they will speak truth. I also ask, Lord, that every one of your children will find the right balance, making time for quietness and aloneness, making time for reflection and listening to the Word of God. I ask, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that every one of these, your children, will, will offer to you their little gifts, and you will multiply these gifts and feed multitudes from their lives, that they will reach out to multitudes, starting with the very little they have, that they will offer their little gifts to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Finally, Lord, I ask that everyone listening to my voice this morning will have an impact across the ocean, an impact across the, the street, an impact to those who seem unreachable, even within our cities, there are clusters of people who are unreachable or seem unreachable. Lord, I pray, if they cannot go to Morocco, may their prayers go to Morocco. May their resources go to Morocco. If they cannot see Morocco within their cities, there are Moroccos in their cities. There are enclaves of darkness in their cities. There are places where the enemy has made strongholds. May their prayers and their efforts target every enclave that is yet untouched by the gospel. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Bless us, O God, and um, we trust you to speak to us when we regather again for the part two of this same teaching. To you be all the glory and praise forever and ever. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.